Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Learning how to talk about purpose and mission and collective identity and why we're doing what we're doing becomes even more important and even more pronounced in this moment where in some yeah. ways it can feel trite, like it, and it can be. I think it's really it dumb totally to be can. like- Right? Like we're reinventing footwear to save humanity. It's like, no, you're not. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Aloha, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a whole basket of stuff that is burning a hole in our brains. Um, (laughs) Specifically, what our current practices are for taking care of ourselves and each other in this moment of not just local, but collective burnout in a a very tumultuous world. Um, But it's not going to be a bummer. It's going to be informative and interesting and compelling. So don't leave now. Anyway, let's do a check-in round to get us going. Okay, let's check in like we always do. And I have a juicy one for us today. The question today is, what is something that makes sense to you now that didn't make sense as a kid? And I'll start with you. Okay, when I when I was a kid, I was super, super worried about going to jail. <laughs> like I really, I don't really know why, but this was like young, like like under five. I remember worrying a lot by myself about being in jail and also definitely asking my parents about going to jail and getting unsatisfactory answers like, well, you would have to like do something illegal or get arrested. And I was just like, I was really convinced that I was just going to accidentally end up in jail. And I understand now that even though people are wrongly imprisoned all the time, it doesn't like people are just like, end up there who don't yes. under, have any understanding of how that process unfolded. Yes. Um, so it does make more sense to me now, m- moderately, than when I was like four. 100%. Yeah. I, I think there's a long list of things like transgressions that I was worried about right? conducting and being a part of. And then it's like, you know, remember your permanent record? Uh, <laughs> what? what the like, is that? that thing even exists? Disappeared. Where Gone. is my permanent record? Yeah, not a thing. And also, I don't know about your parents, but when I would bring these things up, they'd be like, yeah, that's why you have to be good. Like, they weren't like, no, 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 you won't go to jail for accidentally murdering someone. They were just like, like, yeah, you should eat your peas. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, that permanent record's coming out and uh, (laughs) lick the tip of the pen, get to work. Um, Exactly. That's funny. There are so many things that I could say on this. I'll do one based on relationships because it's juicier. When I was a very, like, kind of a young teenager... One of my parents, I forget which, I think it might have been my dad, took me aside and was like, when you're dating people, pay attention to their parents. 
because mm. they had like they come from them and they may become them <laughs> to a certain degree. Wow. So just like, you know, keep an eye on that as you make life choices about partners and things. It's not always true, but like, you know, keep an eye on that. I completely ignored that. I was just like, that's nonsense. You're an idiot. I'm, yeah. you know, it's I like this person and that's all there is in the world, right? Yeah. And as I get older, I and I see myself becoming my parents in certain ways. Sure. I see I see the lady Dignan becoming her parents in certain ways. Luckily for both of us, you know, we're we're our own people as well. But like these traits and these identities, mm. and then you like go to a high school reunion or something, you're just like, whoa, genes are strong and yeah. socialization is strong too. And now as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like, I feel where that advice was coming from in a way that I didn't when I thought I just like sprung out of the head of Zeus. Right. <laughs> Man, I'm really glad Ed's dad didn't tell him that. <laughs> I would have been shit out of luck. You know what? Every There's always somebody that can buck the trend. He probably would have ignored it anyway, just like you did. Buck the trend. Yeah, everyone ignores it. I mean, that's the beauty of this check-in question is like, whatever the answer is, we ignore it at all. Yeah, we ignored we everything our life. parents told us. Yeah, we yeah, refreshing. That's how we world. got here. Okay, well, before we get into today's topic for real, we do have a fun PSA for you, mm-hmm. our listeners. We are hiring again, believe it or not, and we are hiring our first in-house finance steward, someone to to lead our financial operations. So, Rodney, do you want to say a few words about why we're doing this and why now? Yeah, sure. So um, this is something like many roles at the ready that has been energized by people internally and fractionally. And uh, we're a lot bigger now than we used to be. And our finances are more complicated than they used to be. And we also have different aspirations than we used to have. So we are interested in investing and growing in adjacent spaces and a whole manner of other things. And so it just feels like it's time for this to not be a side of desk activity and to be, you know, someone who really has a perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things we're really leaning into in Source, particularly this trimester, is people showing up from role with a point of view informed by the expertise (laughs) of that role. And then we're looking for that, that buddy from finance. Madness. I love it. It is, it is particularly hard, I think, to do finance in a self-managed system because on the one hand, you're trying to give people the information they need to make great choices. And on the other hand, you're trying to keep some semblance of financial control or discipline in place in the system without a lot of traditional ways to do that. So I, yeah, we need, we need someone who has strong opinions and is also eager, I think, to, to move forward on this. So folks, if you know someone who is skilled in the dark arts of bookkeeping and accounting <laughs> and cat herding, please let us know. And if they're interested in shaping the future of work and the future of finance, all the better. We will be dropping a link to the job application in the show notes, and we would love to meet your friends. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We got our growth steward through this show. Yes, we do. Who is just the best. So Slamming. we're hoping that lightning strikes twice. All right. So today's topic is the alliterative and much beloved burnout and buy-in. <laughs> I still don't get it, but I'm glad it makes you happy. Uh, I wanted to start by asking you, so so you sent me some research recently. I do notice that people are talking about this, about the collective burnout, about micro burnout, about how we're meant to still exist and show up to work every day. I'm curious, like what you're seeing that compelled you to want to make an app. 
Yeah. Well, I think the main thing for me is the shift from individual burnout to collective burnout as a phenomenon. And I Mm -hmm. think if you go back and look at the burnout literature, such as it is, a lot of it talks about like things happening to individuals that one person on the team is burned out or some one team in the company is burned out or something like that, where they've kind of reached the end of their of their rope, their their gas tank is depleted, and they're no longer able to operate sustainably without some form of recovery or, or recuperation or renewal. What is bizarre and sort of has captured my attention lately is that it has risen on the list of, of concerns for leaders of, of businesses and other organizational systems to like a top three concern. Like we are burned yeah. out, not as individuals, but as individuals collectively, like everyone is. And so my experience of this is that it's not hard to see. It's not hard to find um, almost any service worker role that I encounter, you can tell from a conversation with them that they are kind of at their wits end. And in fact, I had a conversation with a with a cashier at Whole Foods the other day, where they were talking about this phenomenon that people are actually calling in sick on Sundays, like way more frequently than mm. is possible. And as a result, the staff is always kind of a skeleton crew. And then whoever shows up is doing double the work for the same pay. Mm-hmm. And then it happens again the next weekend and the next weekend and the next weekend. And now all the people that have been doing this for weeks and weeks and actually showing up and honoring their commitments are like, why are we doing this? Like, yeah. we're going to call in too. And it's creating this almost snowball effect of people who are not not able to continue in, in the current pattern. So I think I just wanted to unpack with you, why is this happening? What what are some, some of the underlying kind of drivers? And then more importantly, what do you do when burnout is not an isolated incident, but it's mm-hmm. actually a system-wide and really society-wide problem? What, mm-hmm. what can we as, as org designers, as change agents, as leaders be doing to maybe try to like start to stem the tide there? So yeah, yeah I, that's, that's what I'm seeing. I'm curious what you're, what you're noticing that either reinforces or challenges that. Yeah, I mean, same. I think certainly the level of continued mass resignation tracks with what you're saying. Look, I it feels to me like like the gestalt of this thing <laughs> is that everywhere I look, it's like the rubber band has just been stretched <laughs> to its max for a long time and it's still intact, but it's like one more news article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a fucking snap, you know? Yes. And I and and I think that there are a lot of folks in a variety of situations and professions and domains of their lives, frankly, who have been like kind of clinging to reality and like yes. function for years now. And it just it it does feel like between living through a pandemic and at the same time watching social systems crumble, watching violence escalate en masse, and watching the, the systems and representatives who theoretically were supposed to respond mm-hmm. just continue to absolutely fall down on the job. Um, you know, it's a, that rubber band is snapping, and it's snapping all over the place. And so whether it's absenteeism or resignation or, or other things, you know, something that I've noticed a lot recently inside the ready and at clients is like, I think there is a collective feeling of not having control, right? And right. this is something that right. we know about in terms of burnout. Like, I'm I'm not a burnout expert, but what I have learned in the last couple of years is burnout is in part about emotional exhaustion and it is in part about agency. And a lot, sure. of, a lot of people who experience burnout 
and and certainly the collect I think the collective story of burnout is people feeling like they have endured a tremendous amount of challenge and frankly trauma and they don't have really any levers to pull or any control yeah. and so and so what i see is also the projection of that onto other things. So yep. whether that's like within relationships or with families or within teams, people who are like trying to regain a footing because everything feels out of control. Yes. Those and are the things that I'm noticing. I, yeah, I, I would say hard plus one to that. And, and what it points out to me is we always talk about complexity on the show. One of the things that is truly and richly complex is the interlocking set of agreements that make an organization work, that make a culture work, that make a society work. Mm -hmm. And when you like pull some of those, you know, Jenga sticks out of the, out of the structure, it's not that hard to start a cascading effect, right? Like somebody calls in sick on Sunday because they're exhausted from the news. And then someone else gets exhausted from working two jobs with one salary and then someone else, and then the person trying to check out gets exhausted because now they're in a 20 person line trying to get back to their job or their kids or their whatever. And, and you just can see the, the connections there, the, the, the real network effect. And I, and I believe that a lot of us have, and we talk about them as like social contracts, right? We have Mm -hmm. expectations that people that represent us are going to solve problems that, when I go to the store, there's going to be milk in the aisle. Like we, we have these assumptions that help us feel that sense of control that you're talking about personally and, and also professionally. And it doesn't take much disruption to like really start a cascade of effects there. Yeah. And I think that we're now seeing that. And as a result, we, we don't actually have the tools in the toolkit to put things back together again. I've had several conversations with a, a friend of mine who lives down in Texas about how to a certain degree, both political parties love to focus on the last step of the problem rather than any kind of like root or earlier or like, sure, you know, stages of the problem that, that kind of exacerbate things. It's always just like, now that we have, you know, now that we have too much student debt, let's pay it off. Right. And it's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> is that, is that going to solve the whole problem or is that just going to pay it off for the round of people who happen to have it when you do that? Right. Or is actually college just too damn expensive? And, and I feel like with this, that's the pattern I'm seeing everywhere is like a lot of triage and not a lot of like, we have to build this thing back at the root. I mean, it, it's, it's not any different than how we talk about closed systems, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's, it's taking a complicated view of generally <laughs> of like something that is complex in nature. And, you know, right. there's, there's no easier, there's no easier fish to shoot in the barrel than than the gun argument, which is like the dumbest argument about <laughs> gun control is make more guns more accessible to shoot the people with guns. I'm just right. like, there's there's no universe <laughs> in which like there's no data, there's no evidence, there's no logic, there's no nothing. But talk about the last step of the problem. It's like, sure. okay, there's too many guns. So we we don't know how to put the genie back in the bottle at all. Right. So I guess more guns right. with more access to guns is the how it. we're going to get rid of those guns. And it's just like, you know, to me, that's no that I mean, it's it's different because of the cost in terms of human life. But the mindset is no different than, you know, the stock price tumbling and the CEO going like, well, let's just fire 10% of the people. And it's sure. like, first of all, this isn't going to solve your problem. And second of all, you're mortgaging your future 
for a short-term solution that's not a solution at all, but will make you feel momentarily like you've taken some action to deal with whatever's going on. Yeah. And And I think that is a microcosm of the macro, which is there's a bunch of systems going through it. A bunch Mm -hmm. of people trying to put band-aids on it like that. And the average everyday person, myself included, is kind of like, I just don't have a lot of steam. Yeah. I, you know, I just can't, I can't get a hundred percent up for it anymore because I've been spending little bits here and there and everywhere where I used to be able to rely on X, it's like, well, you can't really rely on X anymore. So I think what I'm wondering is like, what are you seeing in the workplace as the result of that kind of low-grade, continuous, collective burnout? Yeah. Well, I mean, a few things. I I think that there's something that is happening that I'm seeing in, in lots of companies that I'm talking to <laughs> where because there is so much fear right now, like because of a lot of things that we've just talked about in the last few minutes, because of the low degree of trust we have in systems right now, and mm-hmm. in representatives right now, because of the low functioning of a lot of systems right now, and because of our own like lack of control right now, I am seeing more of a move toward like in-group and out-group behavior than I would say is typical. And I think it comes as an interesting time, right? Because none of these things are are isolated. We've just been through this period of really significant isolation and in many ways surviving in smaller and smaller and smaller groups mm-hmm. like as, like as like surviving as a household or surviving as a nuclear family yeah. rather than surviving as like a neighborhood or a school or a town or whatever so you combine sort of that like that trend over the last couple of years of like you know me and my people have got to figure out how we're going to get through this with an inordinate amount of like sort of fear in the environment. And I think folks hunker down. Like people mm-hmm. just get very individualistic very quickly. Sure. And, and and on the one hand, it kind of sucks when you're in the middle of it. And on the other hand, it feels so logical. It's like <laughs> the collective is not doing shit for right, me right, right now. Why should I be the person to continue to orient to like what's good for the group sure. when there it doesn't feel like there's any net here that the group is going to provide for me? Exactly. And so I, I've seen in a variety of pockets just more of a like dog eat dog orientation yes. than I certainly than I was seeing like at the height of the pandemic where I feel like people were really starved for connection. People were like, you know, organizing and forming various informal support structures, both at work and at home to sort of like get out past these like tiny little pods that we were living in. And now like, I think that there's a bit of a pendulum swing and it's just like, we're deeply fucked. Who are the three people that I'm going to like put on this lifeboat with me? (laughs) And like everybody else, best of luck. Yeah. And that's probably an oversimplification, but I've seen enough moments of that recently where it's like the sense of being beholden to something bigger because the something bigger is needed for our survival, I think is really challenged right now. Yes. And and I think what I what I hear in what you're saying is that there's an opportunity there to yes, if you kind of go back to the elemental of like who are my people and then you and then you actually re-engage in agreement making and re-engage in communal identity 
back up the food chain. That's what's needed. Cause really yeah. like effectively everyone's in a prisoner's dilemma right now. Yeah. Where exactly. it's like, if exactly. you, if you're telling the other person, then your deal is better. But like, right. if, if neither of you tell, then it's better for everyone. And, and I feel like we're all playing that prisoner's dilemma at some level at work and at home. And, and actually the, you know, the right way out and the way society was literally built is like, I'll, let's make some agreements with my family and then with my neighborhood and then with my tribe and then with my, you know, coworkers, et cetera. And basically, um, you know, collectively sense make our way out of this. But, but I think you do have to kind of return to the, to the root. One data point that I had pulled for this episode is that, um, and I'm sure you heard this because you're, you're very well informed, but consumer confidence in June was the lowest ever. Wow. Literally the lowest ever. Wow. And then slight yeah. recovery in July. But to your point about retreat, I think when our health and wellness is threatened, that's one thing. When our when our pocketbook is threatened, that's another. And when you put them together, it's just like, ugh. And so I do I right. do think that that has created that kind of flight to safety mentality. Yeah. And yet, as I said, that's not what we need. Like that right. it, it won't actually solve any problems because so much of our organizational health and cultural health comes from collaboration. Mm -hmm. it, it's not like you can, it's not like everyone can go home and just do their own thing and everything works out. I don't know if you've ever tried to grow enough broccoli for the year, but right. it's, it doesn't go well. <laughs> like if you try to, if you try to feed your family in your backyard, it's not going to go great. So for most of us anyway, maybe, maybe less so for Ed, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that, that the right solution to these tensions and these fears is to, is to retreat to the, to the individualistic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also, you know, when that becomes the mindset, like when it, when, when that feels like the move to keep you safe in this world that is scary and where like our personal freedoms are being taken from us and you know and the stock market is a myth and blah blah and blah stuff. like when all of that happens at one time um and and you sort of do take this more individualistic and more like retreating stance then i think it's also that then part of reinforcing that and i i used to do a lot of research around like evolutionary biology and tribalism and things like that part of the move then is also to like vilify the system that you're in and yes. the them that you're fighting against. Yes. And 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 that's how you reinforce your desire not to cooperate and to right. collaborate because humans are actually we are wired to cooperate. That's how we got here. And so so it does take some doing to overcome that instinct. And and so and so what I what I see in <laughs> places is a somewhat irrational vilification of various others and like a lot of othering in order to be like, see, I'm justified in yeah. in my mistrust of this team or these people or this system or this agreement or whatever the thing is. So yeah. I'm I I see a lot of that and and I'm I'm curious if you have as well. And, and how do you sort of like re-channel that energy when you do see it? Well, I, I certainly see it. I think it's a very natural human instinct. And we, I mean, it, th that's the story of, of the media and political tribalism, right? Of the last X years. What I, what I have noticed that is very interesting in the burnout literature is that some, and I'm talking now about like individual burnout historically, yeah. It has often been as at least as much about like meaning and purpose as it is about hours, right? Yeah. There, are many, there are people who work 60 hours and are not burned out and people who work 20 and are. Totally. And a lot of it has to do with that like 
mastery, autonomy, purpose stuff that we've talked about on the show before. Do you feel like you're growing? Do you feel like you're doing something meaningful and important? Do you feel like you're you know, able to kind of have some sense of control and direction in your life? And so interestingly, I actually think learning how to talk about purpose and mission and collective identity and why we're doing what we're doing becomes even more important and even more pronounced in this moment where in some yeah. ways it can feel trite, like it, and it can be, I think it's really it totally dumb to be can. like, right? Yeah. Like we're reinventing footwear to save humanity. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> but, but so I think there's, there are edges to it, but I also think actually coming together as a group and being like, what kind of a workplace do we want to have? And what kind yeah. of feelings do we want to elicit? And how do we want to take care of each other? And, and what are the edges of that? And like, what are the limitations on that? Having those kinds of mission, purpose, principles, values, conversations, I think done well and done earnestly can actually be part of the antidote, which is just to be like, yeah, we have a project. You know, once you've retreated to home and, and like gotten your, you know, caught, caught your breath, the next thing is like, well, what are you going to do about it? Right? right. The world's changing in a way you don't like. Great. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And if you're not going to retreat forever, then you need to organize around a purpose with someone like we're going to push legislation or we're going to create a workplace where people feel safe or we're going to change the focus of our product to deliver some outcome that we want at any level you're getting into like intent and yeah. that actually becomes the galvanizing force again so even though we're always kind of standing purpose work on this show i actually think now uh, it's even more important and potentially more high stakes it's not just about like a clever line it's actually about real collective identity. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I just wrote a long Twitter thread about this a few oh. days ago. Go follow me on Twitter and I'm, you can read it. It will yeah. give you a step-by-step -step outline of how to create a purpose in a participatory way. It's very fun. Oh, yeah, I did see this. Anyway, my point is, like, plus one to what you said in terms of, re, you know, potentially reorienting in terms of the impact you want to have and the change that you want to see in the world. And on a much more basic and fundamental level, I have also found lately doing purpose work to just be very comforting. <laughs> because even if we're not like shifting our purpose to have a more macro focus or a more sure. like societal intent, just being with a group and being like, okay, mm -hmm. life is overwhelming. I could probably burst into tears at any moment. And yet, let's talk about what we're going to try to do. Yep. Like we're still going to show up and do something for now. So what should we do that makes sense to us in mm -hmm. the world in this moment? And like, I've found that to be super, super grounding and super helpful. And the combination, I've done this in a bunch of places, both in clients lately and internally. And man, clients are having the same experience. They're just like, ooh, Get into like a purpose for this team in this moment felt like a warm bath. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, dude, I know. Same. <laughs> um, and getting to something that feels like, okay, we can, we can get our heads around a focus. And then also we can use that focus to shut out noise. Mm -hmm. Like that has been so refreshing to me just since our last retreat and doing purpose work for source yes. and the number of things that are coming to me in a day right now. And I'm like, you know what? That's nice. <laughs> That's not the purpose of this team. And I'm the steward of this team right now. And so I'm going to just like, let that one be. Totally. Um, because, because again, when one is burnt out on an individual level, which I certainly am, and we can talk about the symptoms of that. So you out there might know if you are too, it, 
it's really, really easy to just like get the little tiniest dopamine hit of responding to everything. Hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it's a good distraction from things that are trying to take our attention in the world. It's a good excuse for not doing deeper, more thoughtful work, which is harder to do when you're feeling burnt out. And so, and so like, you know, those kinds of distractions in a burnout state can really, really take over very easily. And, and incidentally, a lot of the people who are creating those distractions are also burnt out and are doing the same thing. (laughs) And so I am finding just having like a clear purpose for a team of like, why do we exist? What are we trying to do right now? Has just, has been very like anchoring for me in a, in a great way. Yes. And that I believe is fractal all the way down to the individual. And, Mm. and I have been conversing regularly with folks in my life lately about the fact that like, guess what we're not built for. We're Mm. not built to hear all the bad news of the entire world every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. It's shocking. And, and I think it calls for, you know, a lot of, a lot of org design is about start small. It's about think and act locally and I think that the same thing is true here with the individual, with teams, with organizations, with society is like when it's when you're burned out and overwhelmed, just think smaller. Like yeah. this is what our team is going to get done and this is what we're going to do and how we want to hold each other in a safe space. And like, great, go do that. And you don't right. need to follow every single tweet and you don't need to listen to every single article. It's, I'm not saying bury your head in the sand while the world crumbles, but I am saying like you can't do anything about an accident in Sri Lanka. Right. You just can't. And so, I mean, you can send money, I guess, but like you, you need to be looking closer to home, I think, in these systems. And that mm-hmm. includes your own team and that includes your own neighborhood, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's smart. I think that's smart. It'll keep us safe and on the rails. And also I think to your point, at least for me and like in this house, we've certainly had conversations in the last couple of months about like, like why kind of like why bother like why bother mm-hmm. working like why am I making a fucking podcast who cares totally. you know yeah. like why are we doing any Fuck of it show. it's all just you know it's all stupid <laughs> and like it's just time to goodbye out, everybody you know? and 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 to your point it's like the alternatives present don't don't make a ton of sense right now like I'm you know I'm not going to do something about the tidal wave in Hawaii that I watched a video of before, mm-hmm. right before this podcast in all likelihood but if I just like quit my job and pack it in I am definitely going to be on Twitter more and like that's not going to help anybody anywhere so totally. I think the like the call to what what can you do and even if it's like you know be on your dumb little podcast or like write your dumb little like statement of work or like facilitate your client meeting or whatever. It's just like for our sanity, there is still value in doing things that give you joy or feel meaningful or like help someone else stay oriented to the collective or to the ability to like show up. So I feel like leaning into that, even as it's very tempting to get mired in the swirl of something bigger, makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you said the word joy because I had a conversation with my dad actually the other day about this issue. And it was kind of like, how do you want to be in this moment? Mm. And, and the reality is, you know, you don't get to choose when you live and some people live in, you know, easy times. Some people live in hard times. Some people live in those two different times in the same, you know, space and and moment. But it was a question of like, when I was raised in, in kind of stranger things era, 
it was like the future was nothing but bright. It was just like, right. everything's going to be better. Everything's gravy, like eat whatever you want. No, there are no externalities at all. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm raising a kid in a world where it's like things may or may not be better next. And so how do I want to be with that? Yeah. And one of the things that we were talking about is like choosing joy when you can. And, yeah. and what you said about doing the podcast, I feel like with any activity in my life right now, I'm basically asking two questions. One is, is it making things better, even a little bit better? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, I'm maybe going to do it. Mm-hmm. And the other one is like, does it help me choose joy? Like, can mm-hmm. I have a little bit more joy in my life as a result of that thing, even in the midst of, of the, the challenge? And at some level, that makes me feel, my initial response to that was like a kind of a guilt response. Like, yeah, why should I be joyful when things are hard? Yeah. But, but the other side of that that I think is really important is, this is your one life. Like this is your one wild and precious life. And so if you're going to spend it, even working against really hard things that you think are really wrong in the world, if it's a, if it's a joyless life, what are you really fighting for? Yeah. And so I think, I think having the ability to be doing important work in the world, to be able to resist, to be able to push for change, and also just to like carve out as much joy as you can and try to offer as much of it to the people around you as you can. Like, that's kind of the name of the game. And even though it feels a little bit selfish sometimes, or it feels a little bit off, off note, I actually think it's what's called for. Yeah. Well, and it's going to allow us to hang in there for longer. Yeah, exactly. Cause otherwise like, what's the point? So yeah, <gasps> I'm, I'm not going to quit the podcast. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't planning on quitting the podcast just to be clear, but you know, it can all feel a little bit yeah, futile. Like what's the point? Some days, but, but here we are. Hopefully this was, Helpful? I don't know. I'd be curious to hear from you all out there, like what you're, what are you trying? What are you trying in terms of combating the burnout on the micro and the macro? How are your teams steering through these choppy waters? I don't know. I want to hear you. I want to hear you describe your tone. What's your tone right now? (laughs) You know, but my thought was that, was that talking about this while, while not, you know, a motivational speech necessarily is just like, I don't know, it's, it's cathartic for me when I sit with someone else that I, that I know well and, and care about. And we're just like, things are pretty wild and pretty rough, right? Yeah. And then what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? And you kind of just come to some conclusions and some like shared sense of reality that that then you don't feel so alone in that. So hopefully that yeah. that feeling can rub off. And just to build on that because we had a really Aaron and I had a really fun conversation on Friday afternoon. I had a moment after our conversation <laughs> on Friday afternoon where I was like ideas right now, like ideas about the future that are not so rooted in exactly the conditions of today and the troubles of today are like a little escapist journey for my brain. Yes. So even if it's just like, we're going to spend an hour on like a future possible maybe thing. I, it's very easy for me to be like, that's frivolous. Mm. There is work to do, but actually like that kind of stuff creates an energy to do all of the other stuff that just has to be done. Yes. It's the same way people resist vacations. Yes. Like, I don't deserve a vacation. It's not productive. And it's like, it is. We've talked about that on the show before. It's the recuperation. It's the sustainability. Same thing with like a mental vacation, right? If you want to do some brainstorming or you want to do some ideation or you want to do some like future casting, do that shit with your team, right? And and just say like, who cares if it's frivolous? The goal here is to like 
let our brains be somewhere else because that's what they need. Yeah. You know, and then we'll come back and we'll come back with ideas. We'll come back with like energy. Yeah. And then we can, you know, keep, keep fighting the good fight as it were. Ideas, vacations, (laughs) self-care seems like a pretty great place to draw things to a close. I'm going to take a little 10 minute vacation before my next call. That's right. Hopefully this podcast was a vacation for you, our dear listener. And we would love to hear about that. Give us a review, drop us a line, whatever, whatever you can do to, to make your voice heard. We would sure appreciate it in this moment where we do want to feel more together, together. As always, a quick tip of our hats to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. We've heard from a lot of you lately, and it has been joyful for us. As for you, if you don't want to email us, just listen and uh, go change something. 